Good morning. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? A little Thanksgiving lull on that one. We're going to hopefully warm up and, and uh, get, get things back on track. I hope everybody's doing well. My name is Britton Taylor. I have the honor of being location pastor here at McLean Bible Church, uh, Loudon, And uh, I get the joy of preaching today from James chapter 4. But before we dive in, I want to ask you a question. And I would love if you would actually write down or type out your answer to this question. So if you, f- you feel free right now to take out your phone or if you have a piece of paper and a pen, you could write down your answer, jot down your answer on the notes app. But here's the question that I want to start out with today is what are the top three things you're planning for in your life? What are the top three things, kind of front burner issues that you're planning for in your life? And I want to give you just a moment to jot those down, either on paper or on your phone in a notes app. Give you just a few moments to do that, and then we'll dive into James chapter 4. What are the top three things you are planning for in your life? Just another moment. Top three things you're planning for in your life. Let's go, James chapter four. You guys ready? Beginning of verse 13, this is God's word. It says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such a such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, even reading this passage is humbling. And now we bow before you. We recognize our great need for you to even understand this passage, to have our hearts and our minds opened to the truth of your word. We desperately need you in these moments. Lord, please use your word to change our lives, to better reflect your goodness and your greatness, to to be in alignment with your plans and your purposes for us. And for those who are here that are finding it hard to trust you, God, 
finding it hard to follow you, Jesus. Would you please use this time to lovingly draw them into relationship with you, their risen Savior, the Lord over all. So we humble ourselves even now under your word. Would you speak clearly and powerfully to each of us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, last week I went to Florida to perform a wedding on the beach. It's a good time to go to Florida. And uh, and planning a beach wedding is actually risky business. Anybody want to say amen to that one? Uh, It either goes really well or it goes really poorly. Uh, This past weekend, it actually went really well. It was a beautiful wedding, blue skies, calm ocean. I performed the ceremony just minutes before the sun set. But in that ceremony, I reminded this couple that was entering into this marriage covenant that how important this relationship was. I stated something to the effect of that when two people enter into the relationship of marriage, it's not just the joining of two worlds. In a lot of ways, it's the abandoning of two worlds that one new one might be formed. What I was trying to share with them is that when two people enter into this relationship, it should change their whole world. And for those of you who are married this morning, you're saying, did I get out of bed to come hear that? Like, that's obvious, Britton. Thank you so much for that. But just imagine with me, if you would, a couple of months from now, we pick up the phone and we call the groom from this past weekend and we ask him, hey, how's married life going? To which he replies, it's about the same as before, you know, same as when I was single, Same schedule, same friends, same lifestyles, same decisions, same spending habits. Now, some of you are grinning because you know what would need to happen in that moment. You would need to hang up the phone and call a marriage counselor immediately because that dude needs some help, does he not? Because here's the reality. When you get married, that relationship should change every area of your life. Now, think with me. If that's true of a marriage relationship... How much more should that be true of our relationship with God? And the book of James is here to talk to us about all of that change. He wants to address the radical change in our life as a result of a real relationship with the God of the universe. Those necessary changes that come about by real genuine faith in Jesus results in a beautiful life. Which is, why we're, which is the reason why we're calling the sermon series through James the beauty of faith. It's not always easy to have faith in Jesus. It's not always comfortable to have faith in Jesus. But when you grow in that faith in Jesus, your life will become beautiful. It will become beautiful. And, and James is here each and every week. Every passage, he's slowing down and he's looking at us and he's saying, don't just tell me what you believe. Show me by how you live. The beauty of your faith should be evident in your life. And today, James says, let's get out the calendars. Get out your planners, and let's have a talk today. Is anyone here today, would you just be a self-described ninja when it comes to strategic planning? Anybody would just be so brave to raise your hand? Anybody want to point to your spouse and say, this person right here, I see you. There's some people among us that you thrive in planning your life. Um, You have your calendar dialed in, your iPhone dings about every 15 minutes to tell you where you need to be and what you should be doing in that very moment. Um, Who in here, let's just by show of hand, who in here has the entire next week planned out on your calendar? Just raise a hand. 
Anybody? Your whole week? If somebody comes to you and says, hey, could I grab some lunch with you? It's like, nope, next week's totally full. Let's look to the next week. Anybody have the whole month plan between here and, and Christmas? Anybody? I, yep, somebody's holding their mom's hand up. I see you. And it's the whole month is already planned. It's like, if you want to get on my calendar, let's look at 2024. That's one of the things that actually took me by surprise the most when we moved to Metro D.C. Uh, when when I, I figured out how far out people plan a get-together. It's mind-boggling to me. I ran into a friend uh, of mine. I hadn't seen him in a while at a soccer game. He came up to me. He said, hey, I hadn't seen you in a while. We were catching up. How's your family doing? Well, at the end, he was like, hey, I'd, I'd love to grab a cup of coffee. I'm like, let's do it. Name a place and time, you know? Let's go for it. I gave him my number. He shot me a text that afternoon, and he requested to meet for coffee the next month. And I was like, I was offended by this. I was like, Bro, I understand if like tonight's booked up, but like the whole month, you don't have time for a cup of coffee. But this is the reality of our culture, is it not? This is the reality of the DMV, of Northern Virginia lives. We live in a part of the world that has razor thin margins because we have planned our life out to a T. We know exactly what needs to happen, where we need to be. And some of you are sitting back thinking, absolutely, that's how I roll. You know, and James is saying, I'm glad you're here. Let's have a conversation today. James chapter four, verse 13. He starts out with this phrase. If you have your Bible, you can open it up and see this. He says, come now. He says, come now. The NIV translates it. Now listen. This isn't like a grandmotherly putting an arm around you and kind of, you know, let's have a nice little conversation. There's some, there's some, uh, the strong language in the original language. This is a critical kind of challenge coming in that he's about to lay into us. And he says in verse 13, here's what he wants to challenge us. Here's how he wants to rebuke us. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now it seems James inspired by the Holy Spirit, is calling out those of us who like to plan. It seems like he's calling out those of us who like to turn a profit on a business. Anybody like to turn a profit on your business? Is James rebuking you? Anybody got your whole week scheduled out? Is James saying, you evil person, I can't believe you did that, you know? I mean, students, imagine if you sit your parents down this evening and say, I've got a plan for my life. I'm going to make some really good grades. And I'm going to get into a really nice university. And I'm going to get a very good degree. And I'm going to finish that degree. And I'm going to go get a good job. And I'm going to be a responsible human being. And pay my bills. And show up to work on time. Can you imagine your parents looking at you and being like, I rebuke you. You evil person. But is that what James is doing? On, on the surface, it seems like he should be doing the exact opposite of what he's doing. But here, let's dig in and see what's going on below the surface. In verse 13, this person had a planned time frame, did he not? He said, today or tomorrow, we will go spend a year there. He planned out 365 days. He planned the time. He put it on his calendar. The person also planned the place. They looked at the maps. They consulted the business trends. They, they went where they knew that they could be successful. This businessman or businesswoman looked and, and planned the exact place that they were going to go. This person also had a business plan. They knew what needed to be done. 
they knew the trade. They knew the economic trends. And it, it was really clear. This is where we need to go, and we need to be doing this business. They even planned out the profit. So what is James calling out? What is he rebuking us in this passage? Because Proverbs 21 verse 5, the Bible says, The plans of, a diligent, of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So there's nothing wrong with planning. And there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with going to this city or that city for business. There's nothing even wrong with earning a profit. The Bible teaches it's all right. It's in fact proper to make a profit. The issue is seen right there in verse 13, though. And look with me in verse 13. It says, we will go. We will do this. This person planned all of this. We will go here. And it will be for this amount of time. And we will earn this profit. And did all of that without consulting God. And James is saying that, ladies and gentlemen, is a recipe for disaster. That is a recipe for disappointment in your life. They didn't need any help. This person knew what was best for their life. Now that's pretty stunning, isn't it? Because James is writing to Christians. James is writing to those who have access to Almighty God. And this person didn't even consider God in the equation. Didn't even consult God when it came to the planning out of their year. And that, ladies and gentlemen, all too often characterizes our life. James, inspired, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, when you profess faith in Jesus, when you believe in God, and you don't consider what he would have you do in any given situation, in your planning of the future, James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, that's evil. That's what he says in verse 16. It says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. It's not just unwise to do it this way. It's not just misguided. It's so much more than just being short-sighted. It is evil. And when we operate our lives as this person did, making decisions without consulting God, that is evil too. When you have an encounter with God, when you are in right relationship with the God of the universe, your planning should have an entirely different framework than those who do not know God. Let me say that again. When you have an encounter with the living God and you're in right relationship with that God, your planning of your future, your planning of your life should have a totally different framework than those who do not know God. And that's what James is saying. That's what he's saying. The reality is the greatest news ever is that you have access to Almighty God. That you are in right relationship, Christian, with the God of the universe. Think about this. Slow down and consider 
the good news of Jesus Christ this morning. Be reminded yet again of the greatest news ever. That there is one God. That he is creator and we are his creation. That he's infinite in goodness. That he's perfect in holiness. That he's also a personal God. He's a loving God. And God created us to worship and serve him and to love others for his glory, to live under his rule and reign. And by living that way, we would have been completely happy and enjoyed a perfect world. But we all turned away from God. We all rebelled rebelled against God and his perfect rule and reign in our life. And because of that, our relationship with God has been broken. And all other relationships have been broken as a result. Relationship with other people, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with this world is fractured. It's broken because you have turned away from God. And because of that turning away, what the Bible says is now we're in spiritual bondage. Did you realize that? We no longer live for God who created us. We live for other things. Whether it's money or family, whether it's fame or sex or power or comfort or something else. And as a result, it's always a form of bondage to the thing that we now live for over and above God. But it's not just spiritual bondage. There's also a breakdown because we're under condemnation. That's the reality of the gospel. Is that you and I, apart from Christ, are under condemnation. We're not just suffering because of sin. We're guilty because of sin. We're under the wrath of God, no longer in right relationship with him. But God had mercy on us. Can somebody say amen? God had mercy on you and on me by sending Jesus to put things right. And Jesus entered into the world and he lived a perfect life. And the only human being who has ever done so, and at the end of his life, he deserved blessing and acceptance because of his perfect life. And at the end of our life, because of our sin, because we've turned away from God, we deserve rejection and condemnation. But at the right time, at this time that had fully come, Jesus received in our place on the cross rejection and condemnation that we deserve so that we could receive the blessing and acceptance that he deserves. Is that a pretty good deal? That's the good news, that you're no longer under rejection. You're now accepted by God. This is the greatest news ever, and this is how God loves us. For those of us who have placed our hope, our trust in Jesus, this is how God is putting things right in your life and how he's putting things right in this world. Listen, he doesn't just forgive you of your sins. He restores you into right relationship with him through Jesus. And that is true for each of us who have turned from ourselves and our sin and we've trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord. He restores us to right relationship with God. Think about that. What Jesus prayed, what Jesus prayed is stunning because he defines what eternal life is. In John chapter 17 verse 3 he says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. That's eternal life. 
Not just that you have a one-way ticket to heaven. It's so much more than that. You now know God. You're in fellowship. You're in right fellowship with the God of the universe. Now you might be thinking, what does that have to do with my planning? James would say everything. It has everything to do with your planning. That should inform and transform the way you plan your life out, should it not? You know God and you don't consult him about your plans? James is rebuking Christians. He's rebuking those who profess to know God but are leaving God out of their plans. He's not saying that if you have planners, you're evil. He's not even saying if you're a businessman or a businesswoman who turns a prophet, you're evil. He's saying doing all of that without consulting God, without considering what God would have you do, is evil. And if you know God, you're in right relationship with the God of the universe, he should be at the center of your planning. So he's condemning, listen, a heart attitude of this person's planning. Mark it down, the heart attitude of self-sufficiency is evil. The heart attitude of self-sufficiency is evil. In verse 13, he says, I will do this. I will go here. I will be successful. And James says, as it is in verse 16, your boast, you boast in your arrogance, and such boasting is evil. It's evil. Now, boasting is an important theological term, a theme in Scripture. We don't use it much in modern day uh, language, but we, we need to understand what that terminology means in Scripture. In Scripture, this is important, what you boast in is what you find confidence in to face the future. What you boast in is, is what you find confidence in to face what is ahead. And Scripture says what you boast in reveals the spiritual reality of your life. That's why the prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. If you think you can face the future because you're wise, if you think you can face the future because you're mighty, if you think you can head on what is in front of you because of your riches, he says, you're way off track. Verse 24, but let him who boasts, boast in this, what? That he understands and he knows me. That you know God. That's what gives you the confidence to move forward. Not your strategic planning. Not your ability to do business. Your ability to move forward in this world is in God and God alone. So when you boast in self, you are on your way to crushing disappointment. Do you realize that? When you boast in your plans, when you boast in what you have for the future, when you boast in your abilities, one day it will come crashing down onto you and you will have a life full of disappointment and regret. You will have a life full of disappointment. Your boast should be in the Lord. Christian, your confidence should be in the Lord. And James begins to deconstruct 
this foolish approach to life that is so prevalent in Loudoun County. James begins to deconstruct the heart attitude of self-sufficiency by reminding us of two critically important realities. He's reminding us of these two realities, and you can mark it down. The first one is this, life is uncertain. Life is uncertain. He says in verse 14, he says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. How about that for a little dose of reality? You've got all of 2024 planned out. You've marked it all down on your calendar. It's going to bing you 15 minutes before you need to be somewhere for the next year. But you don't even know what tomorrow afternoon holds. Your life is uncertain. James, as he seems to always do, he puts his finger on the uncomfortable truth to force us to begin to deal with reality. You don't know what the future holds. You are so sure of yourself and you're so sure of your plans. James says, well, what about tomorrow? Just consider the uncertainty of life. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow. You do not know what a day may bring. That's a humbling reality, is it not? That's an unsettling thought. We tend to avoid it, but it is an undeniable reality. Your life is uncertain. You can go on and plan your life as if you are in control. You can put all of the arrangements down on your planner. You can plot out your business trips. You can plan out your holiday travel, forecast your future. And oftentimes in doing that, you're not planning your future, you're assuming your future. Because life is uncertain. Life is uncertain. And James takes a cold cup of water and in love, he splashes it on our face to wake us up out of the delusion that we're in control. You don't even know what tomorrow holds. The attitude reminds me of the farmer from the parable that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 12, Jesus told a parable to teach us about kingdom principles, about principles about what was important in this life and the life to come. And he says this, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. He was in Loudoun County, obviously. Things were flowing well, okay? And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I now, I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. The things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The man thought he had all the time in the world. He didn't realize his life would be over that very night. 
I heard of a family recently, middle-aged man, his wife was pregnant. With nine months into her pregnancy, they had a nine-year-old precious little baby daughter. And they went to sleep that night, and the wife woke up and realized that her husband wasn't in bed with her. It kind of startled her, so she got up and in her 40s, walked into the living room and saw her husband laying dead there. He had died in the middle of the night. He didn't know that that was the night that his soul was going to be required of him. And you don't either. You don't know when that day is coming. Your life is uncertain. And so to live a life of self-sufficiency that you've planned and you're assuming the future, you've got all the time in the world, that's evil. And it's going to end in regret. But James isn't done. Not only is life uncertain, you can mark this down, life is brief. Life is brief. He finishes verse 14, he says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Your life is fleeting. It's here just for a few short moments and then it vanishes. I read an article recently, the title alone kind of stunned me, so I just picked it up and I started reading it, came through my news feed. I'm going to put it up here on the screen for you. The title was this, Could You Live Forever? Talking about an audacious title for a news article, follow with me. Experts claim humans could achieve immortality by 2030. Just about six years, hold off, okay? One futurist even says we'll be able to attend our own funerals in a new body. (laughs) Talk about an unbelievable quote. For a title. I read the article. It goes on and says, Brian Johnson, a tech entrepreneur, has spent most of the last three years in pursuit of a singular goal, don't die. During this time, he spent more than $4 million developing a life extension system called Blueprint, in which he outsources every decision involving his body to a team of doctors who use the data to develop a strict health regimen to reduce what Johnson calls his biological age. This is what billionaires do with their money, I guess. That system here, you ready for this? If you want to get on this, this system, here's what it's going to require of you. It's going to inc- it includes downing 111 pills every day. Now, I'm not sure how many pills you need <laughs> To sustain, this guy's dropping 111 a day. He also wears a baseball cap that shoots red light into his scalp. No clue what that's about. Even collects his own stool samples. That was a little bit TMI. But it goes on to say, Johnson thinks of any act that accelerates aging, like eating a cookie or getting less than eight hours of sleep, as an act of violence. So just think about that next time you pick up that cookie. Johnson is not the only ultra-rich middle-aged man trying to vanquish the ravages of time, the article says. Jeff Bezos and Peter Thiel uh, were both early investors in Unity Biotechnology, a company devoted to developing therapeutics to slow or reverse diseases associated with aging. The last part just really left me stunned. It says, but Johnson's quest is not just about staying rested or maintaining muscle tone. It's about turning his whole body over to an anti-aging algorithm. He believes death is optional. That's a quote. I didn't say it. I quote, he believes death is optional. He plans never to do it. The article mentioned a number of 
billionaires who are heavily invested into technology that will extend their life, hoping that they would live forever. And I'm all for medical advancements and technological advancements that can help us deal with the diseases and, and the aging in a way that can help us extend life. There's nothing wrong with that. But this idea that you, can, that you, don't ha- you think death is optional, that you can just plan never to do it, friend, you can believe death is optional all you want. You can even plan never to experience death. But the brutal reality is your life is a mist. It appears for a little time and then it vanishes. I recently came across a video of a flip book. It was entitled, A Woman's Life in 52 Seconds. And I asked if we could just watch this video. It's going to take less than a minute. I just want you to watch this video and consider the own brevity of your life. Watch this video with me. life is a mist. And Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see, a heart attitude of self-sufficiency is foolish. It's wrong because your life is uncertain. Because your life is brief. So if that's the problem What's the solution? Well, James points out two things, and this is what I want to leave you in closing with. In verses 15 and verse 17, we get some direction. James offers a different perspective. In verse 15, he says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Here's what James is saying. In light of God's sovereignty, Live humbly. In light of God's sovereignty, live humbly. You should say, if the Lord wills. This is so much more than a mindless Christian cliche that we drop at the end of a statement. This is a framework of a heart that's dependent on God. And has found their life to be fleeting, but found a hope in the eternal God. And that relationship now is developing a faith in their life that is something beautiful. In light of God's sovereignty, live humbly. If the Lord wills. If is such an important word there, is it not? If. James isn't saying you can't dream big. Students, go big, dream massive dreams, 
plan out your life, have goals for your life, and then seek to achieve those. But at the end of every one of those statements, at the, at the end of every one of those dreams and those goals, you need to attach the words, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. You will do this tomorrow if the Lord wills. You will go here for business if the Lord wills. I will be alive this week if the Lord wills. James urges each of us today to acknowledge the Lord's sovereign rule over our lives. Friend, you are not the master of your own destiny. You are not the captain of your soul. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. You should live humbly in light of God's sovereignty. But also it says, in light of your fragility, live obediently. In light of your fragility, live obediently. Verse 17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him... It is sin. Now think about that statement in the context of the passage we just read. You take it out of its context. It's, you're not really sure what it means, but you put it back into its context that your life is fragile, that your life is fleeting, that it is a mist. Therefore, what you need, what you know you need to do today should not be put off until tomorrow. Jim Elliott, one of my favorite Christian missionaries said it this way. He said, when the time comes to die, make sure that all you have to do is die. Don't leave anything undone. Some of you are putting off obedience. Some of you are putting off following Jesus. I'll get to that later. And James is saying that is evil and that is foolish. If you know what you need to do, do it. Your life is fragile and fleeting. Don't put off to tomorrow what you know you should be doing right now. In your fragility, live obediently. Your life is a mist. You don't know what tomorrow holds. So you obey God right away. It's something Brooke and I taught our kids from the youngest of age. Obedience is done right away. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So it is with the Lord. If you know what is right, you should do it. So you should live humbly in light of God's sovereignty, and you should live obediently in light of your fragility. And it's here that I want to circle back to the original question we begun with. Here's the question. What are the top three things you are planning for in your life? What are the top three things that you are planning for in your life? As we come to a time of response, I'm going to invite our worship team to come on back up here. But I want to, for you to take out those three things that you've already typed out, written out, or maybe you just have them stored in your mind. And let's sift these plans back through the wisdom of James chapter 4. Let's consider your plans in light of what James has just told us. Have you considered God's will for your life as it relates to these plans? Has God been a part 
of the planning process? Are you sure this is what God's will is for you to do? Have you prayed about these things that you are planning for in your life, these front burner issues in your life, have you even prayed about it? Maybe that's the starting point today, that you just take those plans before God open-handedly, on your knees, and say, God, is this what you have for me? Is this your will for me? Submit those to God. Have you considered God's rule over your life in light of these plans? Have you considered the own, your own brevity of life as you plan out your life? These three things, front burner issues. Is that the framework by which you're making these plans? What I wanna do is ask the team up here to lead out in a song of worship. And here's what I wanna ask you to do. I want you to stay seated. And I want you just to allow them to sing a song over us as we take a few unhurried moments before the Lord and bring our plans before him and ask in light of James chapter four, God, what's your will? Are you the center of these plans? Is my heart attitude self-sufficient or is my heart attitude God-dependent? And wherever the Lord leads you in that, I would encourage you to obey him. Take it before the Lord. Can I pray for us? Spirit of God, we submit our lives right now. We open-handedly put these plans and all of our future before you. And we pray, God, even as this team sings a song over us, Spirit of God, that you would move in our lives break us of self-sufficiency that is evil. Let our faith develop a God dependency that is beautiful. And do it for your glory. Do it for your glory. In Jesus' name.